So, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, we have a very interesting but sad turn of events that's going on in Acts. Uh, we left off uh, with Paul and Barnabas coming back from this missionary trip, and now it's about a year later. And Paul and Barnabas, they want to go back out to those places where they just were encouraging people. They want to go back out and they want to see them again and encourage them once again. And so this is all great. It's a great idea. Like, let's go see these folks that we, that we shared the gospel with a year ago. And then Barnabas kind of brings up the elephant in the room. He says, hey, let's take Mark with us. And if you remember, Mark was the guy who went with them the first time, but then he bailed on them. We don't know the exact reason why he bailed, but it wasn't a good reason, right? So kids, if you even think about this in your own life, maybe if you had a friend that's kind of really let you down, you know, or, or parents, spouses, maybe you've had friends that have let you down, or your spouse has really let you down, and so now you're kind of faced with this decision, should I risk again and give them a second chance? Should I give them a second chance, or am I going to be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure if I can trust this yet? And so Paul and Barnabas, they have a different opinion on Mark. Mark's a good guy. Mark is Barnabas' cousin. So Barnabas probably has a little bit of, you know, subjectivity here. Like, let's take my cousin uh, Mark again. And Paul, he doesn't agree. He's like, I don't think he's, uh, we don't know exactly what Paul's reason was, but we're assuming that Paul's thinking he isn't ready to go back out. He failed us the first time. He abandoned us, so it would not be wise for us to take him along again. But Barnabas is like, hey, isn't God a God of second chances? So these two guys, they have different opinions and both have valid points. And so we're gonna see that these good friends, Paul and Barnabas, disagree very sharply and they're gonna separate. So it's a very sad turn of events. Paul and Barnabas, these partners in the gospel are no longer gonna be ministering together because of this disagreement. So this is tough and no doubt, You've all had relationships in your lives over the years where you've disagreed on things with friends, with spouses, with kids, aunts, uncles, your parents, whatever it might be. And sometimes the things you disagree on aren't clearly right or wrong. It's just a difference of opinion. It's not like someone's suggesting something really terrible, something really awful, something sinful. Although that happens too sometimes, obviously. But sometimes two very, just very intelligent, Jesus-loving people have different opinions on things in life. And it's not necessarily that this person is right or wrong. You just disagree. It's not clear. So today we're going to see a few things. As we look at the, the text today, we're going to see, first of all, that life and ministry, even church life, it, it's imperfect. It's very human. Right? We can be idealists and think, oh, if we just go to church, we read the Bible, we're all going to be good. But that's not really how it works. Life is very imperfect. And in this example, even the most godly of men, Paul and Barnabas, even they disagree with each other in a very, what, what the word says, a, a sharp disagreement. This wasn't just like, a, ah, yeah, I get it. You know, like they really disagreed so much that they separated. So following the Lord is not always crystal clear in life. We don't always know what the exact thing is that God would want us to do. And it's possible to disagree when two options or more than two options actually seem viable. Yet God remains in control. He remains sovereign. In all of these things, when you think about relationships in your life that have gone, the, gone a different direction, we have to always remember, we're going to see this today, that in God's sovereignty, 
We can know and believe and trust that Christ is upholding the universe by the very word of his power. Doesn't mean that all things are good, but that he works all things for good, right? So some of these disagreements and separations we have in our life, that doesn't mean that they're, they're good things, but God somehow in his sovereignty works all things for good, even separations and splits. And as I mentioned last week, one of the toughest things about life and about church life is that you see people come into your life and you see people go from your life. Sometimes good reasons, sometimes bad reasons, sometimes reasons that are avoidable, sometimes they're not avoidable. But for whatever reason, sometimes it just doesn't work out that we can avoid certain disagreements. And I know I don't have all the answers and I, I wish I did, but it's my least favorite thing about life. It's my least favorite thing about close relationships is when they splinter. And if I was just to be a little uh, transparent here, you know, my, my whole life, um, I've always been a bit more of a um, kind of a relational person in the sense of I like deeper conversations. Uh, I value deep friendships, long-term friendships. Uh, I'm kind of a peacemaker type. I, I don't like strife. I don't like conflict. Um, it can be relatively easy for me to bear my soul maybe a little bit too much with people and open up my heart, be uh, vulnerable. So when things like, like Paul and Barnabas happen, when that happens in my own life, it's, it's very disorienting. It's very confusing. It's very discouraging. And I'll look at my own self and I'll wonder, what am I doing wrong? What did I, what did I do wrong? What, how did I mess this up? And I, I know there's always, always, always something I could have done better, for sure. I don't have one single relationship in my life where I have not screwed something up. I don't have one relationship in my life where I, I, I could not have done any better. I, there's every relationship, I could have done something better. And I was lamenting this to Ron Ost about a year or two ago. Just kind of looking around, I'm just saying, Ron, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. I don't know what... I'm doing wrong. And he says to me, it was so helpful. He goes, you know, it's not so much what you're doing wrong. It's that you're getting involved in people's lives. And for you, if you, you, get, you get married, you have kids, there's, there's going to be sparks at some point, right? If, if, we, if we get involved with people, human people who are sinful people, we're going to have, we're going to run across problems at some point. So what he said was, Imagine if a, a doctor came home from work. He's like, honey, I don't know what the problem is. I, every day I come home from work, I have blood on me. None of my other friends have blood on them. She's like, you're a doctor, right? So, so if, if you're a believer and you're going, you want to dive into people's lives and get close with them, you have to expect you're going to get blood on you, emotional blood, spiritual, whatever you call it, right? If we want to avoid, avoid deep relationships, avoid tough conversations, then yeah, you can stay clean. But that's not what we do as believers. We, we want to get involved in each other's lives. You know, when most people, their instinct is to run out of a, a burning building, a fireman runs into a burning building. And imagine then also if a fireman goes home and says, honey, I don't know, I come home smelling like smoke every day at work. I don't know what the deal is, right? If, if we're going to be the kind of people who go into people's lives and be involved with people's lives. If you want to be the kind of spouse that really gets to know your spouse, gets to know your kids, it, it's gonna get messy. 
So it's not necessarily that there's something wrong with you, although all of us, we could always do better in every relationship. But we have to be reminded that if we are, as believers, going to get involved with each other, we are going to see some of these messes happen. And yet we can know that in all of it, God is sovereign. So I want to pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, verse 36 of chapter 15 here. And we're going to look at three primary things that we can take from this part of Scripture today. But let's pray. Father, we know that um, life is not perfect. We don't live life in a vacuum uh, where everything just kind of happens if we follow A, B, and C. Uh, We know that um, conflict happens. Uh, Not seeing eye to eye happens. And sometimes it's not even sin. It's just a difference of opinion or a difference of wisdom. Could even just be a difference of personality. And so we need patience, we need grace for ourselves and grace for each other. We want to be good friends to each other, friends who are long-suffering, who believe the best of others. We want to be the kind of friends who, who listen well, who are slow to speak, slow to anger, but quick to listen, quick to be gracious, quick to be humble. So Lord, we need your help with that uh, because our, our nature is to protect ourselves. Our nature is to maybe brush things under the rug a bit or just avoid difficulty, avoid conflict because it's awkward, because it's hard. But we, we want to we love people well and so we need to be able to understand and know and believe that You want to use us as, you being the great physician, you want to use us as the physician's assistants. That you want to use us as instruments and tools to to help each other. So help us to be wise, to be humble, to be loving, to be gracious, but also to be bold. We love you and we thank you. We thank you that you are in control of all things including all of our relationships, the ones that are healthy and strong and the ones that are fractured. You're in control of all things and we're so grateful for that. So we ask for your help in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 15, verse 36 says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. So that was a year ago. They've been now a year in Antioch and let's go see how they're doing. So Barnabas wanted to take with them John, who's also called Mark. So this is, again, his cousin. But Paul thought best not to take with them Mark because he was one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So he bails on him. So Paul's like, I don't think it's good that we bring him. He let us down. And there arose a sharp disagreement, a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. And we actually don't see Paul and Barnabas, at least in the word, we don't see them ministering together from this point on. So this is very sad. We we see this great partnership in the first 15 chapters of Acts, but after this, we don't see them working together. Maybe they did, we just don't see that in the story or other parts of Scripture. So after there, uh, and then there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. 
And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So now they go on two separate missionary journeys rather than going together. So Barnabas, we know, we've seen this before, he's an encourager. So it makes sense that Mr. Optimistic here is saying, hey, let's give him a second chance, right? So Mark abandons them before, but Barnabas thinks Mark is ready for the next go around. It's a, it's a gracious optimism he has. And I know a lot of you guys are like that. You're, you're very quick to forgive. You're quick to give second, third, fourth chances. Some of you are thinking to yourself, you know, when you look at a problem, you look at fractured relationships and you think, why can't we all just get along, right? You, just, you, you really want to just bring everyone together. And I think a lot more of us could really stand to have more of that in our life, to be more gracious, to be more like Barnabas, to be more forgiving, and to be more accepting of people when they fail us. I think a lot of us could use more of that, and a lot of you guys are already like that. Now, Paul, on the other side of the pendulum here, for whatever reason, he doesn't believe that Mark is ready. He doesn't, there's something about it where he's going, I just, you know, I love Mark, but I just don't think he's ready to go out. He failed us the first time. I just don't, and we don't know why he doesn't think this. Maybe, maybe Paul's more wise than Barnabas. We, we don't know. We don't know if he's just being more wise. Maybe he's more practical. Maybe he's more cautious of a guy who's going, this is a really serious deal. You saw how it was. We can't afford to let that happen again. It was so discouraging. We need to be smart about this mission. This is not a small deal. We can't take this kind of a risk. Let's, let's grab someone else. Maybe next year. We don't, we don't know the details, but it seems like both guys have you know, some, some wisdom here. Barnabas is like, let's, let's, let's trust the Lord and be gracious. And Paul's like, I get that, but not right now. Right? And, and the word doesn't tell us who's right or wrong. The word doesn't make it seem like one guy was being foolish or sinful. They, they both just disagree. And at this point, neither one of these guys knows who's going to be proven to be correct in the long run. They're just, they're just kind of going with their gut instinct here or their discernment. And scripture never tells us who was right or who was wrong. It's just silent on the issue. Both men are making their judgment calls based on their observations. And they have a different conclusion. And the word doesn't say that either one is necessarily wrong. And it's also important to know the word doesn't give any kind of hint that one was maybe acting sinfully or, you know, was bitter or was just being naive. We just, we don't see any of that here. So we can't assume that, well, yeah, obviously we should be a, a, a people of second chances. We can't assume that Barnabas is right. Maybe Paul sees something and there's some wisdom there. But we can also say, well, yeah, we should never, we just don't know. And the word, I think, purposely leaves that unclear for us. What became clear is that because of this sharp disagreement, they couldn't go out together. Barnabas was insisting on taking Mark. Paul was insisting on not taking Mark. In my life, personally, um, I've, I've been the kind of person who errs on both sides kind of throughout my life. Sometimes I'm more like Paul, a little bit more matter-of-fact, a little more black and white, a little more cautious, uh, slow. I, I'm, most of you guys, a lot of you guys know I'm, I'm a slow mover with decisions and things like that. I'm, just, I'm very cautious. I'm very calculated. Uh, I like to have a plan. But other times I'm more like Barnabas where I'm like, yeah, let's just see what happens. I mean, we'll, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. And I'll take a chance. I'll take risks on people. And, and I could be very patient and very gracious with folks. I tend, I think, and I asked a few people this week because I was just not sure if my self-assessment was right, but 
I tend to err a little bit more on the Barnabas side these days, being a little more patient, a little more gracious, a little more long-suffering, a little more like, maybe I'll hold my cards a little bit closer next time around, but hey, let's, let's try this again. But I err a little bit more on the Barnabas side these days, but I would say that the, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago plus Joby was probably a little more Paul-ish, a little more black and white by the book, like, whoa, but you said, you know, so I'm not saying that was a bad thing, I'm just saying that's probably how I was a little bit more uh, many years ago. But after a couple decades of the Lord continually showing me my own weaknesses and my own failings and him being patient with me and still continues somehow to let me keep going and use me and then he blesses, I'm just, if, if he can use me over the last couple decades, I'm going, well, surely I should be more gracious towards others because the Lord is being really gracious with me. So that's been a huge part of the change in my life in the last 10 years. And then specifically the last 10 years in our church, having walked next to many of you and others through your weaknesses, your trials, your struggles, your pains, your sorrows, sin, that has taught me tremendously. Every time someone shares with me the sin that is besetting in their heart, when they confess something to me and they're ashamed, they're embarrassed, I almost always, at least at some point in the conversation, and if I don't say it, I'm at least thinking it, I always end up saying something like, you know, I, I need you to know I love you more now than I did five minutes ago. When people share their weaknesses, their sin, it just, my, my heart just breaks. And I just, I, I see their, their neediness for Jesus. And as a, as a brother, I'm just, I wanna just bring them in. Uh, and, and that hasn't always been the case for me. 10 plus years ago, I would see that sin and just go like, oh, why are you doing, you know? What's your problem? Let's just knock it off. You know, I was just more, more rigid like that. But in the last 10 years, that's changed a lot for me. And a lot of it's because I've been seeing my own sin. So I've become far more gracious and patient and empathetic over the years. So a little bit more towards the Barnabas side. And yet always when faced with decisions on you know, should we do the second chance? Should we not? Whenever we're, I'm, I'm faced with a big decision, I always, I have to confer with others because I don't, I don't trust if I'm necessarily making the right decision. Is it too rigid to say not yet? To, to guard my heart? Am I, is it because of bitterness? Is it because I'm hurt? Or is it wisdom? I don't know. When someone leaves my life, I don't know if it's mostly sin or mostly wisdom. I don't know. If I want to give someone another chance, second chance, I don't know if that's enabling them. I don't know if it's unwise or if it's gracious. I don't know. So whenever a big decision with relationships happens, uh, I always confer with people that I trust, that, that know me and my heart. They know kind of my own failings. They know how my mind and my heart works, and they can give me wise counsel. So a few things that we can learn from this. You look in your notes, the first thing in the, the, the second section there. First thing we can learn from this story is that sometimes even the most godly leaders, the most godly people that you know can have varying good opinions on how things should be. This is Paul and Barnabas, pillars of the church, and they disagree sharply on something. So if they can disagree, then surely you and your buddies can disagree. You and your sister can disagree. You and your mom and dad can disagree. You and your spouse can disagree. I'm not gonna like, you know, compare us to Paul and Barnabas, but I feel like they're like varsity level Christians and we're like, maybe like freshman team, you know? 
And so these guys are like varsity level Christians and they're not even getting along. And so we look at us and we're just like, you know, just kind of these, these kind of nobodies just like trying to figure out how to you know, be Christians. We should assume that we are going to disagree with people, even two very wise, godly people. This should not surprise us. It happened even here. And I, I mean, for me, I, by no means do I know the best way to do all things. I don't know the best way to, to lead a church. I don't know the best way to preach a sermon. I don't know the best way to disciple people. I don't, I don't know. To presume that I know would be so arrogant that me, one flawed pastor, one flawed man in one flawed church, in one flawed city, in one flawed state, in one flawed nation, in one flawed era of thousands of years of God's people, I'm saying I know how best to lead a church and to preach a sermon and disciple people. And how arrogant would that be? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I have God's word. This is my guide but I don't know the best way to do things. So I need to be humble when it comes to decisions that I make in my life. I can't just assume I know all things. This is why I surround myself with people that I trust. Right? If, if I'm you know, a, a nose in the body of Christ and you're an eye, or actually, I think I've told you guys before, pastors were the colon of the body of Christ, right? So I'll wait for it. Okay, there we go. All right, good. So if, if we're all different parts of the body, the nose is going to interpret a situation differently than an eye. So I can't just sit here and go, mm, I, I smell trouble. The eye might say, yeah, but are you looking at it from this angle? I go, oh, I never thought about that. So I need other people that are different personality types, different backgrounds, different ways that they've maybe studied certain parts of scripture that I haven't studied as deeply. And they're going to say, no, what about this? That helps me have a better, bigger picture of what's going on. I can't just stay isolated with all the noses. Right? So this is why we surround ourselves with other people because we can't just trust that I know exactly what should happen here. Every major event in my life, every major event that's happened in our church's life that we've gone through as a church hasn't just been filtered through Joby and the elders. That's not how we work. We know that we're limited. We seek out wisdom from others who have gone through some things before. We, we, we seek out whether it's good commentaries or things online, whatever it is, like we don't just go like, oh, we just think we should do this, right? Because we know that there can be sharp disagreements even between maybe me and Tyler or me and a community group leader or whatever it is. I know that there's multiple angles that we can look at a situation, whether it's in church, in life, in marriage, with kids, whatever it is, parenting. There's a lot of different ways that we can do this. And so we don't wanna be arrogant and say, well, this is the only way. Someone has to make a decision, Right? But we can't assume that I know the only way. Because even then, when I reach out to other people that I trust, I can still look back at my life and go, man, I got a lot of really good counsel, but yet I still wish I would have done that a little differently. So nothing's foolproof. Paul and Barnabas wasn't even foolproof. And only hindsight is really 2020. Now, me personally, I'm, I'm a bit of an idealist. I'm a perfectionist. Uh, being an introvert, that's kind of what I do. You know, I just, I think and overthink. That's one of my spiritual gifts is overthinking things. Um, some of you might also be idealists, at least in part, maybe in your marriage. You're an idealist. You just kind of wish your husband just, you just, why can't he just do this? Your wife, how come she can't do that? Maybe parenting, you're an idealist. Well, I've already told them once, how come they just don't get it from now on? 
right? We can be idealists in all kinds of things, in, in church life. But whatever it is, we, we wish our friends just could read our minds. We wish our friends just kind of knew how to act when I'm feeling a certain way. And idealism, for me at least, to be honest, it easily translates and becomes very high and unusually unrealistic expectations when, I, when I'm operating in idealism. I can sit there and I can look at, you know, life or parenting, church life, whatever, and if I'm an idealist, then I have set these really high standards for myself. I have very unrealistic expectations. I want to be a perfect pastor. I want to preach perfect sermons, home runs every single week. I want to give perfect counsel. But after many years of ministry, I realized that my idealism is constantly challenged by the reality of ministry in a fallen world. It just doesn't, doesn't happen the way I'd like it to happen. This one pastor, he says this about this story with um, Paul and Barnabas. He says, flawed humans, even these mighty missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, they're sometimes going to face moments of contention and arguments. I'm thankful for this dose of harsh reality here in Acts because many people dream of doing ministry in a perfect church. Certain that a perfect ministry role or church is out there, but it's not. So to fix our thoughts on the idea that there might be some perfect ministry or some perfect church out there is just idealistic. And that appeals to the lustful hearts of idealists. Right? Why can't my church, why can't my pastor, why can't my congregation, why can't my community group, why can't my friends, why can't my kids, how come they can't be more like that church or that pastor or those friends or whatever it is? And so this appeals, this idealism appeals to the lustful hearts of an idealist. So that hit me hard because I know I can be an idealist. And I'm just sitting there just wanting things to be ideal all the time. But an idealist, their thirst is never satisfied. And so they'll bounce from one church to the next in hope of finding the ideal church and the ideal ministry situation. We're all going to encounter relational challenges while doing God's work. So let's walk humbly and graciously before God and one another. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, and I'll say it a thousand times more, church, I at some point am going to fail you. I'm just Joby. That's all I am. I'm just Joby. I will not live up to your expectations. I can't do it. It's impossible. I am not God. I'm not even Clark Kent. <laughs> I'm not Superman. I'm just Joby. And that's it. I'm going to fail you. Life Mission Church is going to fail you. But guess what? You're going to fail me too at some point. You're going to fail your church at some point. So let's be in this together with each other. Let's give grace to each other. You're going to fail me. I'm going to fail you. Let's do this together. Let's, let's, let's work graciously towards each other. Let, let's give each other the, the same grace that you would hope to get from someone else. That's, that's what I want out of my life with my relationships. I want to give the kind of grace that I'm hoping that I'm going to get from other people. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, some of us guys were at Jason Wargo's house, had a great time just hanging out with some folks, and I ran across someone who I hadn't seen in probably 12 or 13 years. And he comes up to me and goes, you look familiar. And I go, you look familiar too. And he just smiled and going, oh man, I know this guy, and now I don't know who he is. And I figured out who it was. It was someone actually that I married him and his wife 12, 13, 14 years ago. 
And uh, we were just kind of catching up and uh, he was kind of telling me where he's been just like in his life. And it was really just great, awesome story to hear of God's faithfulness. But he talked about when he was in a church that he didn't like how they were going about a certain situation. Uh, I think there was some kind of um, open sin that was going on and they were kind of fumbling through it and he didn't, he didn't like how they were doing it. So he went and he talked to another uh, friend of his who's a pastor of another church. And he's like, yeah, I just, I just don't agree. They're not doing it like this, this, and this. And this, uh, this pastor said to him, this friend, he said, well, are they making biblical efforts towards the thing, but just not maybe doing it perfectly? They're kind of screwing up things a little bit here, there, or not doing it the way you want them to do it? Or are they just totally ignoring it, acting like nothing to see here, brushing under the rug? He goes, no, no, they're, they're really trying. They're really trying, but I just think this, this, and this. And the guy just said, look, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. You, you can't be an armchair quarterback like that. And he was really humbled and very just like amazed at seeing the fact that he's sitting there wanting to be an armchair quarterback for different people in his life. And he's going, I, I hope no one does that to me. They're at least making biblical efforts, genuine efforts to do this right. And yet I'm sitting here going like, well, yeah, but you didn't really do it this way. And that's what I would have done it. And, and he doesn't know the whole situation. So that really humbled him and it really encouraged me. Because I can look, and I don't know, parents... If you guys are thinking this, kids, you think this, spouses, you think this, you have your regrets, right? You, you, you make decisions, you say things you shouldn't say, you, you respond to certain things a certain way, and you go, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. We can, we can sit there and we can look back at our life and have so many regrets, or we can give ourselves grace and just, say, and just admit it like, yeah, I, I messed that up, but thank the Lord for his grace. Thank the Lord that he is patient with me. So that brought me a lot of comfort just knowing that as I've looked back in my life, I know there's a lot of things I wish I would have done a little bit different or a lot different, but I can't do that to myself. I want to learn from my mistakes, but I know that I can't live there. So parents, for you guys, recognize God's grace for yourselves. You will never be a perfect parent, ever. You and your spouse are going to make judgment calls on how to deal with your kids through different stages of their life. And maybe you and your wife or you and your husband aren't going to agree. You got to give grace towards each other and try to understand each other and know that you might not agree. And both of you have really good thoughts and opinions, just like Paul and Barnabas. Spouses, same thing. Give grace to your spouses. They have a different personality than you. They have a different background than you. Right? Understand where they're coming from. Be gracious towards them. Friends, be gracious and patient towards your friends. Kids, be patient towards your friends. Kids, when you guys are, you guys are going through the different stages of life, life is confusing. It's not easy being a kid. It's not easy being a teenager. Right? And a lot of kids start changing. Right, They start maybe hanging out with different people. So kind of like Mark in the story, he, like, he bails on people. Sometimes you have friends and all of a sudden they're not your friend anymore and you don't know why. And you just have to understand kids, and it's, it's hard to do it, but understanding that they're going through tough kid things too, and they're not, not making the best choices, or, maybe, or whatever it might be, but we want to be patient towards others, because kids, you're going to fail your friends too, right? We're all going to fail each other. So church, we're not going to agree on everything. You're not going to like exactly how your friends deal with certain situations, especially awkward situations. So we have to assume the best. 
Try to be a peacemaker. De-escalate tensions as much as you can. Walk humbly. Because life in a fallen world is hard, especially when you're, you yourself are a sinner. The second thing in your notes there is that not every decision is black and white. What was the right decision between Paul and Barnabas? We don't know. We don't know. It makes perfect sense to take Mark, give him a second chance, but also it makes perfect sense to, to not let him actually come because he bailed on us the first time. The body of Christ is incredibly diverse in both individuals as well as churches. Even each of you, you have God-given personalities that you were born with. It's going to be different than the person sitting next to you, so you're going to perceive things a little bit differently, not necessarily wrong, right? You're just going to see two different things or one thing two different ways, and it might just be personality. Our church is going to have many different strengths, different focuses than another fantastic church in Escondido. And we're going to have a different strength and focus than another church in Zambia. And we're going to have a different focus and strength than a church that was around in 800 AD. My point is, is that no Christian and no church has the corner on the market on how to do church life perfect or how to do it the best. We're all going to have different strengths and weaknesses as individuals, as spouses, as kids, as well as as churches across not just the, the world, but across even church history. And that's okay. That's okay. There's going to be a day, church, where we're all gathered together in all of our diversity on the new earth, and there won't be any division, but all the uniqueness of all the churches of all time are going to just bring beautiful glory to Jesus Christ. But right now, we're, we're split up. We're, we're here in Escondido. There's another church across town in Escondido. And so we're kind of all separated right now, but there's going to, become a, there's going to come a day when we're all united together. But until that happens, we're gonna have weaknesses. That other church is gonna have weaknesses. Your spouse is gonna have weaknesses. You're gonna have weaknesses. And we come together as a local church family to hopefully help each other in those things. But no church, no person has the corner of the market on how to do discipleship perfectly, how to evangelize perfectly, how to preach sermons perfectly. We just, we, no one has that. So it's good for us to recognize that even men like Paul and Barnabas can have strong disagreements on an issue and neither be necessarily wrong. And again, that's very important in marriages. Your spouse and you, you'll have disagreements and neither is necessarily wrong. Sometimes they're wrong. The guy is always wrong, right? But sometimes, sometimes you're not actually both wrong. Kids, it's important for you guys to believe this. Kids, listen real quick you will not always agree with your parents. Have you noticed that? You won't like some of the decisions that they make, some of the things, some of the, the, whether it's chores or rules or whatever it is. And kids, your parents aren't always gonna make the right decision. Kids, can you say amen? <laughs> like, amen. Uh, that's, your, your parents will never be perfect. But you have to believe, like I was telling the story about the guy in the church, like your parents they want the best for you. And you might disagree with their assessment of a situation or whatever it is, but like Paul and Barnabas, you can say, look, I, I see it differently, but you can trust that your parents love you and they want the best for you, even if you disagree. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse four, I love these two verses, verse four and four, uh, verse five, because these two verses, they contradict each other. 
Last week we looked at apparent contradictions. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly. So if someone's talking foolishness, don't, don't engage with them. And here's why. Because you're just going to become like him. You're going to get yourself stuck in just a really foolish discussion. You're going to start arguing, going in a circle. So just don't even talk to someone who's, who's speaking foolishness. Just walk away. The next verse says the exact opposite. It says, answer a fool according to his folly. So if you hear someone talking foolish, go talk to that guy because you don't want him to walk away thinking he's right. He's wise in his own eyes. You got to correct that fool. That's what it's saying. So first verse says, don't talk to a fool. Next one says, no, go correct that fool. Well, which is it? It just depends. It depends. Who's right, Paul or Barnabas? It kind of just depends, right? Life isn't lived in a vacuum where it's just, a plus B equals C. We just follow these things and everything works out great. This is an important couple of verses here. It explicitly shows us that there's oftentimes two or even more godly ways of going about doing something. Sometimes you shouldn't engage in the fool. Sometimes you should totally confront the fool. We don't really know when, but sometimes there's two godly ways to go through something. We love, as people, because a lot of us are idealists, we love to have life be kind of formulaic because formulas fit our desires, our opinions, our personality. Well, we should just do it like this. We love that because we're all idealists to some degree, but that's not how life works. People aren't going to cater to your preferences and how you things, think things should happen. So we have to approach each person, each circumstance, each friendship, each instance, each argument, each, each, each thing that we go through with wisdom, with care, with empathy, with discernment, with listening, with patience, because it's not always black and white and it's not always ideal. Now, thirdly, we're going to end with some, some hope here. The third thing here is that the long game is important. Some really good news we do have here from what we see in the Word we believe that Paul and Barnabas, as well as Paul and Mark, actually do reconcile. Paul speaks positively of Barnabas uh, in one of his letters. Doesn't seem like they work together necessarily, but he speaks positively about Barnabas. He, has, he defends Barnabas. And Paul also reconciles with Mark. He, in 2 Timothy, we see this. This is the last letter that we know that Paul wrote before he died. And at the very end, he says, Luke alone is me, with me. Notice he's saying, everyone's abandoned me. Right? Another part, he says that everyone in Asia is abandoned. So he's got abandonment again. And look who he asks to be sent to him because he's been abandoned by all of his other friends. Luke alone is with me. So get Mark and bring him with you because he's very useful to me for ministry. Isn't that amazing? The guy who abandoned Paul years ago, this is at the end of his life now. The guy who abandoned Mark, or the abandoned Paul, now that Paul has had more friends abandon him, he goes, hey, bring Mark. Mark's awesome. So we have some good news is that by God's grace, through patient endurance, and hopefully not saying or do anything today in those relationships and friendships that's going to burn a bridge for tomorrow. This is where we need to be patient. Now we need to be humble. We need to be apologetic and ask for forgiveness if we've said things or done things. So by God's grace, we might actually see reconciliation in some form or fashion. 
Like I said, we don't know if Paul and Barnabas actually ministered together, but at least it was a positive relationship. This is something that I would encourage every single one of us in this room to hold on to. Not only hope for those that you've already been maybe separated from in some degree, but also hold on to this in any current situation that you're in. You're in a situation that's maybe fractured, maybe that's getting stressful or awkward. What drives me to be more like Barnabas with the different folks in my life is that I'm constantly thinking of the long game. I'm thinking, what can I do or say today that can actually help long-term reconciliation, right? There's, there's stress, there's kind of tension here. So I don't wanna say anything that's gonna like break this thing when it's very, when it's very delicate, right? I'm always thinking of the long game. I, I could blow someone up today, but is that gonna help them in the long run? Is that really gonna benefit them? I can get frustrated and fed up today with my kids or, or anyone, but I have to have a long-term perspective of a relationship. And I'm personally grateful for the opportunities I've had over my life and where I've seen reconciliation. And I'm expectant and hopeful for more of that. I'll tell you one, uh, one story of a great reconciliation. Uh, a lot of you guys know Don. Where's Don? Where's Don? Is he hiding today? Oh, he's flying. He's working. Oh, so he's not even here for me to, to throw him under the bus. Cool. I'll have to watch online. Don, about, I asked him for permission for this too, by the way. About eight or nine years ago, Don was not a fan of Pastor Joby at all. And to be totally honest, I was not a fan of Don Garcia. We did not see eye to eye together at all. And um, it, was, it was not good. It was not good. Um, and it was contentious. And it went on for a long time. And this is, you know, eight, nine years ago, Joby, when I was a little more Paul-like, and I'm just going, what is this guy? I just, I was, my, my heart was hard, to be honest. And his heart was hard. And um, over the course of just some time, you know, a year or so, two years, I don't know what it was, but the Lord really broke both of our hearts. And um, my, my view of him, I consider Don a good friend today. And I have considered him a good friend for many years now. But that was not always the case. We had sharp disagreement. And we did not like each other, but we love each other today. And I don't expect that ever to change. If you know Don, you know why. I mean, just, you know, I see just what the Lord has done in his life and in my life. And to be honest, that time with him in that time period, eight or nine years ago, changed so much of how I minister to people who go through hard times in their life. It, it built up a ton of empathy. That time with Don actually probably is what put me over that, that edge of being coming more Barnabas-like was really probably because of the time I spent with Don. It changed my perspective on how to, how to come alongside people. And so I know that I have changed tremendously because of that reconciliation. And so because of that, I also know and I believe and I'm hopeful for more reconciliation with all kinds of relationships in my life. Paul and Barnabas, they are unified in their doctrine and their passion to preach Christ but they had different perspective on the details, on how to do things. They did not see eye to eye, and they split up. 
but yet in all of it, God was somehow glorified. Now the amount of missionaries going out was doubled. We had not just one team going out, but two. So the good news is even that when these things happen, when these divisions happen, God is still at work. He was working something in Paul. He was working something in Barnabas. He was working something in Mark. He was working something in me. He was working something in Don. The division itself, the contentiousness wasn't good, but God used it for good. And I'm so thankful that God used it for good. Church, our God is good. He's wise. He sees the end from the beginning. We don't know what he's doing. But remember this, the blood of Jesus didn't just purchase our justification and our forgiveness. The blood of Jesus also purchased our sanctification. The blood of Jesus guarantees that he is going to work in your life and change you and transform you. The blood of Christ purchased your discipleship that starts that day that you get saved and finishes the day that you go home to be with the Lord. And that includes all the ups and downs and all the sin, all the struggles, all the contentious relationships. Christ purchased the sanctification to discipleship that he's gonna bring about through all of those things. So all these, these contentions that we have, the separations we have, these aren't for nothing. They're not for nothing. We don't have to be hopeless in them. I can't guarantee you're gonna have reconciliation like me and Don did. Maybe it's gonna be more like Paul and Barnabas, like, hey, we're positive, but we're not working together. I don't know. And maybe it doesn't even happen in this life. That's the unfortunate part. And Paul saw that too. He didn't reconcile with everyone. But church, remember that today is not the last day of the story that's being written between you and so-and-so. Whoever that so-and-so is, today's not the last day. It feels like it. It feels like the relationship's over, whatever that looks like, but today's not the last day. And again, I'm not saying that tomorrow or the next day is gonna bring about something like me and Don or Paul and Mark, but today's not the last day. And there will come a day on that day, capital T, capital D, that day when we will all be reconciled one to another and there will be no division in the body of Christ. There will be no division between spouses and kids and family members and church members. There will be none of that. So if that day doesn't come now in this life, that day still will come. But today, church, is not the last day. It's not. And you can hope. You can hang on to hope for the future. Because God in his mercy and his grace may bring about beautiful reconciliation, at least in part, if not more, and sometimes, honestly, even better than before. But if that doesn't come today, it will come on that day. And that's what we give God thanks for. So let's pray and thank the Lord for that great truth. Because church family, whether your kids in the room, whether your parents, spouses, you're gonna get in arguments, you're gonna be divided, you're gonna have broken friendships, and it's gonna break your heart, and you're gonna break other people's hearts. This is why we hold on to God's grace, we hold on to hope that he's at work, even in darkness, even in difficulty. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you as our Father, you love us as your kids. And I know that you must look upon your kids down here and just have your heart broken for the ways that we have sharp disagreements, the way that we don't think the best of each other, the way that we 
get stubborn, the way that we gossip, the way that we judge others. As a father, I know that must break your heart. I know for me as an earthly father, you know, when my boys were younger and they wouldn't get along or whatever, I just, I know how much that breaks my heart. How much more does that do that for you? And yet, Father, I also know that you see the end from the beginning and vice versa. And there's a part of you that maybe doesn't have your heart broken by it because you know how it's going to end. So you're just patiently enduring. You know the story that you've written for us. You know the story you've written for broken relationships in our lives, whether it's marriages, friendships, parents and kids, extended family members, churches. You've written a story, and it doesn't mean that all those stories are good, but you are going to make all things work for good. You're going to be at work in the hearts of every spouse, every kid, every aunt and uncle, every mom and dad, every church member. You're going to be at work in our hearts. And we trust that you are good and wise. And we just don't understand your ways. But we can trust your ways. Thank you for the encouragement, the kind of ironic encouragement that comes from Paul and Barnabas having a fractured relationship. I know I shouldn't be encouraged by that sadness, but there's an encouragement that comes to my heart because I know that if they couldn't figure it out, I can't expect myself to be able to figure it out with everyone in my life. I just, I know that's impossible. I'm too flawed. And I, I see things differently sometimes than others. And so this brings me encouragement to give myself grace and give my friends grace. I'm trusting you along the way. So I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you for your mercy and patience. In Jesus' name, amen.